Megan Failer, the wife of one, our, one of our young new elders, and she said this morning, where did you get those beautiful daughters? And little Eleanor, the little one, piped up and said, Amazon. <laughs> so you can see what we have to deal with. <laughs> but let's have a prayer together. Father, we commit this word to you. We thank you that you're so good, you're so faithful to share what's on your mind, your heart with us each and every time. I ask you to anoint this word, Lord. You know my prayer is that it would be a seminal word for someone here this morning. We just bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was at a small prayer meeting uh, about a year ago with some friends, and we had gone around the room and shared our, our prayer needs, and um, as we were praying, it, it came to my turn to be prayed for, and one of my good friends there uh, prayed something along the lines of, Lord, uh, Jim is turning to you right now. He needs you. May he always turn into the Lord. And that phrase stuck with me. It blessed me. I wanted to be that kind of a disciple that always turns into the Lord. Amen? Um, it reminded me of Proverbs chapter 1, verse 23, that says this, Turn into my reproof. If you do, behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will make my words and thoughts known to you. If we back up one verse, it says, How long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn into my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. So I want to bring an exhortation this morning on the importance of always turning into the Lord. No matter what adversity you're facing, no matter what attack of Satan, no matter what pruning or purging or cleansing you're going through, Maybe you're in a fiery furnace, maybe you have a debilitating disease, maybe you're long-suffering over a family member or under some persecution from man, but whatever it is, we've got to always turn into the Lord, because as we've been singing about this morning, He is our refuge. He's our strong tower. He's our deliverer. I remember, and perhaps you do, in, in uh, the story of Moses and the exodus of the people of, uh, of God, that they were backed up against the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's armies were coming down on them. And do you remember what, what Moses said in behalf of the Lord? He said, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be still. Do not fear. Stand by and see 
the salvation of the Lord. So I want to title today's message, Always Turn Into the Lord. Always Turn Into the Lord. Now, it's usually at the end of a message that the preacher goes into the benefits of what he's been talking about, but I'd like to kind of eat dessert first this morning and look at the rich benefits of always turning into the Lord, no matter what hardship we are facing. The first benefit, I think, is that we develop an authentic and proven, tested, beautiful precious faith. In 1 Peter, we read, For a little while you have been distressed by various trials, that what? That the genuineness of your faith, the proven quality of your faith, which is more precious than gold, has been tested by fire and found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a blessing to have you back, Sarah, and I remember how you have had a several-year battle and how you have fought to turn into the Lord every step of the way. You're a living example of what I'm talking about. Cindy is a living example, isn't she? Going into countries she doesn't know if she'll get out of, that incredible motorcycle wreck, Constantly, over 40, more than 40 decades, or 40 years, sorry, Cindy, not 40 decades, um, turning into the Lord, constantly turning into the Lord. You remember how in the book of James, in the first chapter, he said, count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect that you may be complete and lacking in nothing. You might remember that verse uh, in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus taught us to pray, and one of the lines is, lead us not in temptation. There's been a lot of debate about that verse, but the meaning of that verse is actually, help us, Lord, to pass every test. Help me to pass every test today. We develop that mature, authentic, and proven faith that is called precious in the sight of God. That's the first benefit. A second one is that we experience greater, greater fruitfulness. Um, in John fifteen sixteen, we read about where Jesus said to his disciples, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. But if we back up just a few verses to verse 2 in John 15, we read this. John 15, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that bears fruit... He prunes it. Another word, another word, English word for prunes is he cleanses it or clips it off that it may bear more fruit. 
I want you to listen to this next statement. If you are the real deal, if you really belong to God through Jesus Christ, then your life will be a series of prunings, of cleansings, of adversities, trials, tests, disciplines, and reproofs. Because he whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Amen? Constantly pruning, constantly cleansing. He is the, the gardener of our souls. We read, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. I've told this story before, but I remember being in seminary um, and thinking that the one thing I could not do is get my wife pregnant with a fourth child because uh, my parents were supporting us through those years. But even more than that, I felt the hand of God, and I was ready to be launched into ministry, and I thought the last thing I need is another baby. And uh, yet, Laura turned up pregnant. I don't know how it happened, but... Of course, I blamed her, and then I blamed the Lord, and so I thought, I've got to, I've got to pray this through. So I went away to uh, Greenleaf State Park. I rented a cabin, was fasting and praying, and I remember just being on my knees and, and, and crying out to God and saying, God, this, this is just wasn't supposed to happen uh, it's going to slow, slow me down. And, and he spoke one of those times. He spoke very clearly to me. And he said, Jim, um, you think that your ministry is going to occur around or in spite of your family. But I'm telling you your ministry is going to be through your family. And I've given you this fourth child because I love you enough to kill your selfishness. And uh, that broke me. And I wept and thanked the Lord and worshipped him. And of course now Esther is a mighty woman of God who is storming the gates of hell and uh, just a powerhouse for the Lord. You might remember Jacob, how he was a man who was transformed by the pruning of the Lord, how he started out as a deceiver and how he stole his brother Esau's birthright. But after 20 or so years, Esau was riding toward him and uh, he was very afraid and he kept sending out gifts ahead of him to his estranged brother, thinking that Esau was going to uh, make war on him. He was so scared that one night he took his family and hid his family across a river. And so he was left alone on the other side. And what did the scriptures say? That a man came and wrestled with him until dawn. Other places it's called an angel of the Lord. And after the encounter, Jacob himself said, I have seen God and lived. 
So this mysterious being, he wrestles with him until morning, and this angel puts Jacob's hip out of joint, and even so, Jacob continues to hang on and wrestle with this angelic being. And uh, the angel sees that dawn is approaching and, and says to Jacob, uh, let me go, let me go. Uh, dawn is approaching, and Jacob says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And so the angel changes Jacob's name, which means the deceiver. He changes his name to Israel, which can mean a prince of God, a prince of God who has power with God because he has persisted and exerted himself and persevered. I want that name or a name like that. Israel, a prince of God. When we're talking about always turning into the Lord, we're talking about what the Bible calls faith, aren't we? And in uh, Hebrews 11:6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I love the story of the little boy who idolized his father. They were so close, this little boy trusted his father. And one night, while the little boy was asleep, his home caught on fire. And all the family members made it out of the house except the little boy. But he climbed out of his window and up onto the roof. And here it was night, and it, it, all he could see was, was smoke. And he was calling out, Daddy, Daddy, rescue me, save me. And uh, his dad, who was down below in the yard, uh, said, Son, jump, jump, I'm right here. And the little boy said, but I can't see you. But the father said, but I can see you. Go ahead and jump, I'll catch you. And without hesitation, the little boy launches into the air to be caught by the strong and secure arms of his loving father. If you are always turning into the Lord when trouble comes, you will also find intimacy with God. How many want that? Intimacy with God? Not just a relationship with God, but, but intimacy with God. Well, what is intimacy with anyone? Uh, intimacy means that I know God's thoughts, his character, what he loves, what he hates, and most importantly, I sense his presence in my life. I know that he's with me. We sang about that, didn't we? that he loves me passionately and he will never leave me or forsake me. There's a great verse in Jeremiah 9. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let, let him who boasts, boasts of this, that he what? Understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things. That sounds an awful lot like our text. Turn into my reproof, and I will pour out my spirit upon you, and I will make my words and my thoughts known to you. 
Beloved, when you are, uh, I, love the, I love the word gobsmacked, when you are gobsmacked in the face with some adversity, some attack of Satan, some trouble, please don't blame him or turn away from him or go on a binge of sin, but always turn into him. Wrestle with him, flee to him, jump into his arms. He's our refuge. He's our strong tower. He is our great deliverer. Oh, let's take advantage of that. God is to us a God of deliverance, as Psalm 68 says. And to God the Lord belong escapes from death. When we always turn into the Lord, we find these things. We find intimacy with God. We find that our faith is proven and tested, and we become fearless, and we find greater fruitfulness. Well, there's a lot of examples of people in the Bible, men and women, who did just that, isn't there? The first one I want to talk about is Peter. You all know the story. Peter is someone who turned into the Lord in the aftermath of an utter failure in betraying the Lord, abandoning the Lord. I think he was in a cesspool of bitterness and self-loathing. It says he went out and he wept bitterly. He was full of shame. He was full of hypocrisy. He was full of cowardice. And maybe he thought of where his master had said, if anyone is ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of him. Have any of you ever been in that kind of a place where you are filled with self-loathing? You are filled with just your own hypocrisy and shame And uh, yet, you turn to the Lord. This is where Peter was. So contrast that, weeping bitterly out in a field somewhere, with when Jesus appeared on the beach. And uh, Peter was out fishing, and uh, Jesus said, throw the net on the right side of the boat. He didn't recognize yet that it was the Lord. They did it anyway, and pulled in a huge... Uh, uh, the nets were breaking. It was so, so many fish. And uh, when Peter realized it was the Lord, what did he do? You know, if it had been me, I think I would have kind of sunk down in the boat a little bit and pretended that the nets needed mending or something. But Peter jumped up and he, he, he didn't have anything on over his, his upper body, so he put something on and he dove into the water, and he swam for all his might to be with Jesus. He turned into the Lord, and after breakfast, they had a conversation, a convo, if you will, and Peter was reestablished, and Jesus healed him. Peter turned into the Lord at a time he felt utter failure, utter shame, and self-hatred. I pray that when you and I have those moments that we will also turn into the Lord. And I want to say to our, our young people, 
you will have those moments. You've already had those moments. But turn into the Lord. He's there for you. Then there's David. David is a great example of almost everything. Um, but he, I, I, the story that I love about David is where he and his mighty men of valor come back from um, raiding and they find that all their uh, children and wives have been carried away by the Amalekites and his, his, his soldiers and his people turn on him and they say they're going to kill him and stone him. And uh, maybe something like this has happened to you where someone you love, someone you look to for support and trust, a trusted friend or a family member has turned on you. Most of us experience that at some point. The Amalekites had carried away everyone and... The people were threatening to kill David. So what did David do? He didn't run away. He didn't blame God. He didn't sink into inconsolable depression. No, he, the scriptures say, he strengthened himself in the Lord. Amen. Isn't that a great phrase? He strengthened himself in the Lord. Well, how did he do that? Well, we know from other places that he would cry out to God that he would speak to his own soul. He, he would say things like, why so downcast, O oh, my soul? We know that he would worship God. We know that he would wait upon the Lord. David turned into the Lord when people turned on him, rejected him, and blamed him. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And then how about the woman with the issue of blood? Here's a great example of someone turning into the Lord she had been bleeding and sick for 12 years, the scriptures say. Some manuscripts say she had spent all her money on physicians to no avail. But after all that suffering, she put her faith in Jesus, saying to herself, if I can just touch the fringe of his garment, I'll be made well. Now, I was thinking about this story, and it's not as though she turned to the Lord over and over and over. But you know what she did do? She pressed through the multitudes. She pressed through all the obstacles. And I know some of you here are sick, and you are fighting diseases like that that are persistent, and, uh, and you are fighting through the multitudes, the obstacles Sickness and pain and suffering day after day, and yet you keep turning into the Lord, and until you're completely physically healed, you experience a profound sense of his power and his presence. I just want to say, keep turning into the Lord. Keep turning into the Lord. That's who we are, amen? That's who we're called to be, is a people who turn into the Lord. Sometime back, you may remember that we, you probably don't, but you may remember that um, that little preposition in the English language, in, like believe in God. In the Greek, that little preposition is ice, and it has a meaning of movement toward or continual movement into something. 
So in the English, it means a situation where something is enclosed and surrounded by something else. So in this case, our faith, our trust is enclosed and surrounded by the Lord. But in the Greek, the meaning is a little, a little bit more nuanced. It also has the meaning of keep on pouring into the Lord your faith and your trust. Here's John 6.29 read that way. This is the work of God that you keep on believing into him whom he has sent. Isn't that beautiful? You want to keep pouring your belief, pouring your trust, pouring your faith into the Lord. Well, Job is another example of a man who turned into the Lord. Of course, he was under the attack of Satan and experiencing tremendous grief and loss. He was a prosperous farmer with thousands of sheep, camels, and livestock, a large family and servants. God is pleased with Job's life. He's called a righteous man. Then Satan, the accuser, comes before God, claiming that Job is only faithful because God has blessed him so much. God allows Satan to destroy Job's children, servants, livestock, employees, and home. And what was Job's response? It says he tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped God. So Satan attacks Job's body, covering him with boils. And so Job takes a shroud of pottery and begins to scrape off the infection on his face on his flesh. He was suffering so greatly that his wife said, curse God and die. But he responded, you speak as one of the foolish women. Shall we indeed accept good from God, but not adversity? He did not sin or blame God, but he did begin to bring his complaint before God. Like Jacob, he wrestled with God until God spoke to him. Job is a tremendous example. Maybe you're experiencing a, a huge grief event or a huge loss. Please keep turning into the Lord. One more, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, again, an example of many times turning into the Lord. He had this compulsive sin habit, didn't he, that we read about in Romans 7, where he says, for the good that I wish... I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. The reason I say I think it was compulsive is because he said he practices it, not just, oh, I, I, I experience it once in a while. He said, I practice the very evil that I do not wish. If I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He turned into the Lord when he had a thorn in the flesh, didn't he? Some kind of illness or malady uh, that embarrassed him and made him look weak compared to the other apostles. He founded the church in Corinth, and yet, um, and yet they were esteeming some different apostles than him, and he sought the Lord about this thorn in the flesh. They were seeing him as weak. 
And he said, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. A little further down, he says, I should have been commended by you, Corinthians, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. There was a Methodist minister named G.D. Watson, and he wrote something of what Paul was feeling here in a little publication called Others May, You Cannot. He writes, God may let others be great, but keep you small. He will let others do a work for him, and uh, he will let others do a work for him and get the credit, but he will make you work and toil without knowing how much you are doing. Then, to make your work still more precious, he will let others get the credit for the work which you have done. This to teach you the message of the cross, humility and something of the value of being cloaked with his nature. Settle it forever. You are to deal directly with the Holy Spirit. He is to have the privilege of tying your tongue or, or chaining your hand or closing your eyes in ways which others are not dealt with. However, know this great secret of the kingdom when you are so completely possessed with the living God that you are in your secret heart pleased and delighted over this peculiar, personal, private, jealous guardianship and management of the Holy Spirit over your life, you will have found the vestibule of heaven, the high calling of God. Settle it forever. In many other ways, the Apostle Paul kept turning into the Lord. Peter, David, the woman with the issue of blood, Job, and many others kept turning into the Lord. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, no matter what kind of trial or adversity we're facing, we're called to keep on turning into the Lord. So in conclusion, I want to remind you that God is our refuge. The book of Psalms makes this crystal clear for us. There are about 13 Hebrew words that translate into roughly 16 English words describing how the Lord is our refuge. What I want to invite you to do is, um, if, if you're willing, is um, close your eyes and just repeat, I'm going to say something like, the Lord is my refuge. And I would like you to, to say it to yourself uh, following that. Um, you don't have to shout it, but I think it would be good to say it. And so I'll only be saying things that are scripture, so you don't need to worry and discern each one. Let's begin. The Lord is my refuge. 
The Lord is my dwelling place. The Lord is my shelter. The Lord is my secret place. The Lord is my hiding place. The Lord is my stronghold. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my keeper. The Lord is the shade on my right hand. The Lord is my shadow. The Lord is my tabernacle. The Lord is my strong tower. And the Lord is my salvation. Whatever your age, whatever your difficulty, whatever your circumstance, always turn into the Lord. I ask you to settle it now forever. I will always turn into the Lord. I will always turn into the Lord. I will always turn into the Lord. I wonder if there are any here who have a situation in your life and you want to say to the Lord, Father, I turn, I am turning into you. If that's you, um, I want to just invite you to stand and pray for you. There's a, a heavy situation that you're facing, and you want to make a statement by standing that you are turning into the Lord. And then just if that's, maybe you're not facing a heavy situation, but you want to you want to make that declaration that you're settling it forever, that you will always turn into the Lord. Let me invite you to stand as well. And let's pray together. Father, by standing, we are not saying we have something to prove. We, we know we're incredibly weak without your grace but we know that you are our refuge, you are our strong tower, you are our fortress, you are the strength of our life, you are our deliverer. And to the very best of our ability, Lord, we, we want to settle it forever with you that we are a people who are called to always turn into the Lord. No matter what the difficulty, whether it's an attack, a sickness, purging, if it's disciplined from your hand, if we're confused and we don't know what's going on, if we're suffering over a loved one, Father, help us. We declare that we want to turn into your reproof. We want to turn into you, Lord, knowing that you will pour out your spirit upon us. We'll know your word. We'll know your thoughts. And we will be cleansed and pruned 
and have greater, greater fruitfulness, will have that mature faith that is precious in your sight that's tested and proven and will have intimacy with you. We thank you, Father, for this word. We ask you to help us remember it and take it in deeply. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.